BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We're going to talk about something in this episode that is really a topic that I haven't talked about yet. Uh, but one that I think is so important, especially right now with what's going on in the mental health care space. And with me today, I have Dr. Carrie Singer, and we're going to be talking about solving mental health care access and championing insurance reform right after this. Welcome to the Mental Health Today Show. My name is John Cordray, and I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Mental Health Today Show. I'm so happy that you're here with us today. With me today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Carrie Singer. She is a clinical psychologist and owns a 40-provider group mental health practice in the Washington, D.C. suburbs, which grew to $7 million annual revenue in five years. Her business passions include solving mental health care access problems, championing insurance reform, and educating physicians on behavioral health integration. Dr. Carrie Singer, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, John. You're very welcome. And I, this is a, a topic that is very interesting to me, obviously, because I've been in the field for quite a while. But I know that a lot of people, they know that something's wrong because they either try to, to find a therapist and they can't, or they might see in the headlines that there are a lot of mental health companies these days that are downsizing and letting people go. And, and so there's probably some confusion and some concern at the same time. And I know that people have frustrations with their insurance. And so I'm really interested of learning a little more about both the mental health care access and insurance reform. So can you just tell us a little bit about that and, and tell me a little bit about how you got into that and your interest in that? Sure. Thank you. Well, um, like you mentioned, I did grow my group practice pretty quickly because we do take insurance and not many people in our D.C. metro area do. And a lot of them are charging $200 and up per visit, which a lot of middle-class folks just can't afford. 
So we were able to grow quickly, but we still have 1400 clients on a wait list, which I feel devastated about. I think the pandemic has really amplified and accelerated the distress, you know, that people are feeling, you know, people are isolated. Some people have had financial impacts, health impacts, you know, grief and loss issues, divorce is on the rise, you know, substance abuse is out of hand and just, you know, suicide rates are at an all time high, like, you know, political tensions, racial tensions, just like a, a melting pot of, mm. you know, breeding ground for all these issues popping up. And I think the CDC was estimating that earlier on in the pandemic, 40% of Americans were meeting clinical criteria for anxiety and depression, which normally before the pandemic, that was more like 20 to 25%. So the need has almost doubled, but the amount of therapists has not doubled. Um, if anything, in some areas, it's going down. You know, fewer yes. people are going to school because they see the massive student loans they're going to take on and the potential for income is not as high as if they had a, a you know, a graduate degree in a different field. So you have this huge supply demand imbalance that leads to this huge mental health care access issue. And so in the light of that, you know, people have rushed in with these digital solutions where maybe they're going to integrate kind of paraprofessionals like behavioral health coaches, which maybe I don't know what kind of training they even have, or sometimes kind of peer support options, group therapies, just ways to solve problems at scale. I think a lot of kind of investors and venture capitalists saw this windfall of, oh, look at the demand in this field. Like this is something we can capitalize on because mental health is not well structured and organized and we can make it more accessible because if you Google find a therapist near me, the first things that are going to come up are going to be talk space and better help. And you go and you click on there and look at that. They can get me seen for an appointment in the next couple of days. So, you know, that is not the way the mental health care system has been designed in the past. It's been fragmented and siloed. And, you know, you go to your physician and you say, can you recommend a therapist for me? If you're even brave enough to bring up that conversation with your doctor. And if they're even savvy enough to say, that's a good idea. Why don't you take care of your mental health? And, you know, we can talk more about that. Some of them are uncomfortable having those conversations, but more and more they've become the front line of kind of um, the gatekeeping function. Somebody comes in for their annual visit, you know, you should be asking about anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, and substance abuse. And so they might say, look, we have this list of four people we, we refer to. We've heard they're pretty good. And so you might call those four people. Majority of them are probably no longer accepting new patients, have left insurance panels, um, or if they do have openings, Maybe they don't have the specialty you need treated, or they don't have after school evening or weekend times that are going to be convenient for you. So it's kind of like, okay, great, back to the drawing board. It can be very frustrating from a client perspective. And hearing the stories of the people on our wait list, I'm just intimately familiar. People will say, I've made almost a hundred calls, you know, and hardly anybody answers their phone or gets back to me. And it's just, I I didn't think it would be this hard. And I'm already feeling like maybe I don't deserve help. And, you know, they're depressed and they're nervous. So they're maybe sluggish and it's hard for them to coordinate that search effort. And it it just, so they give up and then eventually their problems get worse. Maybe they end up going to the emergency room because they're having a panic attack or suicidal thoughts. And that ends up costing the healthcare system so much more money than if we had a better design that allowed for preventative care. Mm. That is so true. And we are in, as you mentioned, a mental health crisis like never before. And so it's the worst time to be experiencing this. We should be doing everything that we can to create better and easier access to everyone. But that's not the case, like you mentioned. And uh, I, I think you're right on with wanting to educate physicians because 
not all physicians are trained in behavioral health. And no. many of them are, like you said, are not quite equipped to talk much about that. And so that is really important as well in this is to educate physicians. So along those lines, what would, if, if a physician is listening to this and, and maybe they're agreeing with this and say, yeah, I have a lot of patients that come to me and they talk about depression or anxiety or, or even thoughts of suicide. I have a list of therapists that I can re refer to, but what else would you recommend to physicians who are wondering what else can I do for my patients? Well, and I feel bad for physicians, for especially primary care doctors. You know, they only get a 10-minute visit sometimes with a patient for a follow-up, and they have so many other metrics that they're supposed to be tracking, outcomes they're supposed to be reporting on, that sometimes behavioral health falls to the bottom of the list. And I'm in part of an integrated uh, medical group right now where I liaise with physicians quite often. So a lot of them say, I don't have time to open that can of worms because this may starts crying. I, it's hard to say, sorry, you got to get out of here. My next patient is waiting. So how to get insurance to pay for longer appointments or maybe annual mental health wellness visits instead of just, you know, physical health visits and talking to physicians about, you know, giving anxiety and depression screenings annually when you're seeing these patients and following up on the results if they're, if they're clinically significant or at risk. I think that they just don't feel equipped staffing wise and sometimes training wise. And there's a lot of free um, continuing medi medical education events they could attend because oftentimes now primary care doctors end up being psychiatrists because there are so few psychiatrists. There are more psychiatrists dying and retiring every day than there are entering the field of medicine. So physicians have to be very well versed in all the different psychiatric medications, which often they're not. They, they always say, tell me the one or two SSRIs I should be using. Like they just want something like to default to, but it's not that easy. You know, it really depends on the individual's unique biology and there's genetic testing they could be using and they don't they don't have the specialty knowledge most of them will say i only got two days of psychiatry training during my residency so you have people who have the probably the least amount of specialty experience doing the majority of the prescribing and that's a problem <laughs> i think we can all agree that is a problem so uh yeah i think the the more that we can do to educate physicians and uh for those of us in the mental health field who are professionals we can we can do that. We can help physicians. And if you are a physician listening, I would encourage you to reach out to a therapist uh, in your area and ask. Don't be. I mean, you're a doctor, yes, but you don't know it all. And uh, a mental health therapist. That's all we do. Yeah, and there are different um, insurance um, codes now that can be billed for physicians who want to use integrated behavioral health in their practices. So you get paid for the screenings that you do. You can have behavioral health consultant available to your team and a psychiatric consultant to kind of give second opinions on difficult cases and to kind of deliver case management services to some of your more complex patients. Because all the research shows that if you have a behavioral health condition, you're likely to experience more health problems and to not take care of them as well. It makes a lot of sense. And so that's good. That's good that there are uh, some codes that physicians can get compensated for because it does take time to do these things. Sure. So uh, I want to kind of transition just a little bit. It's related, but insurance reform. So this might sound like to some, oh, this is boring. Don't turn it off. Don't turn this episode off because this is important because it relates to you because everybody, just about everybody has insurance. 
And so to use insurance for therapy or counseling, that sometimes it could be tricky. And so, Carrie, tell me a little bit about insurance reform and where do you see the problem? And do you have an idea of trying to fix the problem? We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, this is Ross, the host of Smells Like Humans. Each week, we talk about the curious things that people do. This show is for you when you're in the mood for unscripted, lighthearted conversation, personal stories, and just a smattering of psychology and information you can use. I promise we will make your day pass a little faster and put a smile on your face. Sometimes silly, sometimes serious, but always fun. Please join us, because no matter who you are, we all smell like humans. Please follow the link in the show notes. Well, I think insurance reform is a huge problem that's hard to, to tackle once, but to maybe chip away a little bit at it. And I think the Biden administration has made actually some good progress in that area in terms of uh, mandates for insurance companies, more transparencies with rates and what they're paying different facilities for different procedures so patients can choose to use a lower cost provider. Maybe they'll save them a little bit on their deductible, their co-pays, but it is a complex issue. And I can say from the patient's point of view, like when you go to find a, a cardiologist, for example, you think, well, I'll just look in my insurance directory. I'll call the first three people and I'll take the one that has the first available appointment. But that's not really how it works with mental health. A lot of times the directories haven't been updated in years. They keep providers on who have left the panel or retired because they want it to look like they have a full network, when maybe really they don't, or more likely they're just understaffed and they haven't been updating things properly. So getting patients the correct updated information about specialty, availability, openings, even reviews aren't made available to patients most of the time, like how have other people felt seeing this provider. So that's a little bit of a problem. But I'd say in general, people feel like insurance does not reimburse therapists nearly as much as they do medical professionals for say an hour of their time. And so a lot of professionals in my area, you know, Hey, I can make 200 to $250 an hour on my own, or I can make less than half of that taking insurance. And then I also have the headaches of figuring out how to file the claims. And if they get denied, I have to appeal them. I have to sit on hold for two hours to even figure out what's going to be covered, not covered. They don't want to take that risk and they don't like that administrative hassle. So they're leaving panels. I think the statistic is something like 70% of patients have to seek out of network mental health care. And it's not nearly that high when it comes to physical health care. You would never think of using a, a hospital or a provider outside of your your network if you had a, a medical condition, but it's just a way of the world. And I think clients are initially surprised by that and they're not prepared for those out-of-pocket costs. And so they might go into debt and sometimes they might have a few sessions and then even find out it wasn't the right fit or it didn't solve their problem. So it's hard for clients to get the right information about the care that they need. And insurance companies should have care managers who are helping clients kind of through the process. Okay, let's think about what services you need, who's in our network, where can you find them? But oftentimes they're just so overwhelmed again by the sheer amount and patients don't even know that that help is available. There's just a big disconnect, I think, between um, patient needs and the insurance company's uh, ability to facilitate meeting those needs. So I think some of it has to do with rates. Some of it has to do with administrative procedures. 
But during the midst of this mental health crisis, you know, a lot of insurance companies will say that they are trying to increase access. They're trying to draw new providers into their network. But the way that they're doing it is they're partnering with these digital health companies that have met them, you know, quickly brought on all these different providers, a lot of whom are trainees. Some of them are coaches. Some of these digital health companies have had complaints about improper prescribing practices. You know, they're startups. And so instead of, you know, partnering with the, the clinicians who've been in their network, sometimes a dozen plus years and giving them a rate increase, instead of they're directing their, their money and their efforts toward working with digital health companies, which I know as a practice owner and psychologist has been very frustrating for us. You know, it, it feels like everything is becoming consolidated under this umbrella, like kind of how a lot of hospitals would buy medical practices. It feels like that's kind of happening with mental health too. So now, you know, a lot of the mental health services in the country are owned by Walmart, Google, CVS, and that's a little bit scary to think about how they're they're using your healthcare data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a whole topic uh, for a different episode. Uh, is how these humongous companies have access to our personal health information. Yeah, uh, that that's a, a totally different topic. But I really appreciate you bringing out the problem. The problem is. Even if you can, uh, a, a client can find a therapist in their network and to, to be able to go and use their insurance, let's say it's a, maybe a $20 copay, maybe $30 copay, but the therapists themselves are not really compensated. And that's what most, I would say most people don't realize that if your therapist accepts insurance, more than likely the insurance is not going to give the therapist uh, a really good reimbursement rate. And so they have to drastically reduce uh, in order to find people to accept insurance. So when you pay a 20 or $30 copay, the therapist is not going to get a whole lot from the insurance company. And, uh, but it helps you as a client, but with a, a therapist, I know this because I had a private practice. I accepted some insurance. If I had the choice of not offering insurance and just doing private pay, I would get paid more. But the problem is the other side. Then a lot of, like you mentioned, clients are not able to afford the, the right care. So there are some highly qualified therapists that are in practice, but they're not using their insurance that, Clients are not able to access because of the financial burden. And so that is a huge problem. And uh, what would you, what would you say, Carrie, would be a solution or a uh, something that could help with that barrier? Well, and a lot of the people who don't accept insurance are people who provide specialty mental health care. So if you have an eating disorder or if you need a treatment called DBT, like these are things that therapists have to go and get a lot of extra expensive educational training to be able to provide well. So they feel like insurance doesn't compensate them for their expertise, which they don't. Insurance covers the same amount, whether you have one year of experience, 20 years of experience, no matter what specialty training you have. I really think that just like if you're working another type of job and qualifying for raises, they should really base it more on years of experience, level of specialized training, you know, patient satisfaction scores, even if you want, you know, there's, there's no differentiating. And it's very hard to negotiate for, you know, rate increases, even over time, loyalty to the network. Yeah. That's very, very good point. And you're right. So these specialty services that a lot of therapists have, uh, 
it is expensive. And uh, that's another problem because there, I know that there are a lot of therapists, especially those who are just getting licensed and just get out of grad school. There's debt and they're, they're in debt, just like other professions, whether you're a dentist or a doctor or a chiropractor, you, you go through your schooling and you have debt. And then if you want to continue specializing, you go into more debt a lot of times. So this, this is a problem. And yeah, it, it, there are some things that we can work on and there is hope. So this is not a doom and gloom with mental health care access. And you mentioned that there are a lot of mental health tech companies that are available now as well. And I know a lot of them are able to accept insurance. And it's a fairly new a new phenomenon, if you will, because there are just seems like hundreds of different mental health companies, uh, tech companies coming out all the time. And uh, I know that there is a huge plus of using that because it does open up more access to therapists and to clients and to match them. But there's also a problem with that. If the tech companies are growing too big and too fast, then, uh, as we you mentioned, you alluded to it earlier, there have been a lot of layoffs, and uh, that's a concern. And that does not look good to the public with uh, the mental health world. But there are a lot of good things that are happening as well. It's easy to focus on the problems, but we also want to talk about there are a lot of great things going on right now, more so than ever before, in my opinion. Well, there's a lot more, there's a lot more acceptance, I think, of seeking mental health help. You know, there's lots of therapists on TikTok that have huge followings. Like people are not ashamed anymore, certainly to speak up about these issues that they're having. And so many people are having them They're They're easily relatable. So that's a great thing. I think in terms of parity law, though, you know, which passed, I don't know, 2008, you know, that insurance companies should provide equal coverage for mental health and physical health treatments. I still think we have a long way to go. I mean, and even in all those years, there's only been a few lawsuits that have actually come to fruition against insurance companies where the adequate coverage didn't exist. So the Biden administration has made it their priority to crack down on. They've also come up with a lot of student loan assistance programs for therapists. Mm. I know the therapists in our practice get up to $50,000 of forgiveness after two years of working with us full time, which is great. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's excellent. Well, we've talked about mental health care access and insurance reform and educating physicians. I'm really curious to learn a little bit more about you personally. And uh, in particular, I, I noticed that you growing up as a teen, you went to boarding school. Geez, how'd you find that out? <laughs> yeah, so, I, I certainly had my own mental health challenges as a teenager. My parents were divorced. You know, I had problems with alcohol and drugs. And I got kicked out of three high schools. So finally, my parents uh, sent me to a wilderness program. An escort pulled me out of my house in the middle of the night to take me there, kicking and screaming. And then from there, I went to an all-girls therapeutic boarding school in Montana for two years, where I'd say they used some unconventional therapeutic practices, like having a shovel horse manure uh, a lot of the times, build fences. I learned how to drive a tractor before I learned how to drive a car. Sometimes they'd wake us up in the middle of the night to go on mile and mile long skis. And when there would be a, a girl who had an eating disorder, 
who didn't want to finish their lunch, we'd all have to run laps around the dining hall until they did. So mm. that place got shut down uh, a few years ago. So, uh, but mm. I will say that it did put me back on the the right track again. And I knew what kind of a bad therapeutic experience was, and I wanted to do something a little bit better, you know, certainly for the teens and families that I've been able to serve. Yeah. So I, I'd love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I know that there are parents who are listening to this that may have a child in that same position. Maybe they're acting out and they're trying to figure out what to do. And I think you just sharing uh, your own experience, even though it wasn't all positive, it ended positively. It, it was it ended in a good way. And I know that it's a very difficult decision for a parent to think about having their child go to a boarding school or to go to a treatment center. Like it's scary. It is. And, you know, educational consultants can help. There's so many programs out there. It's hard to know which ones are good. But You're right. Like, like any program though, you know, when you get out is when the real work begins, you know, the community reintegration, you know, especially with substance abuse, the relapse rates are pretty high. Like, you need know, to find a 12 step program, get connected, you know, build your own support network. Yeah. And, I, and that's, that's the key is uh, your support network who, who in your life that can be a support and, and help. And that can help so many different struggles. And I definitely agree with that. So we have a few minutes left. Are there any final words uh, that you would like to leave us with in regards to either mental health care access or insurance reform, or even going back to educating physicians? Well, I think a lot of the power does lie in the patient's hands. And, you know, telling your employer, your HR department, look, you don't have coverage for these services that I need. Like we even take some health insurances where they don't cover family or couples therapy because they say that's not medically necessary. Some of them deny autism services coverage. It's like, who's making up these policies? Like you need to be your own champion to say like, I need this. I'm entitled to this. You need to push back because insurance companies listen to employers because those are really their customers. You know, who's going to bring them the biggest contracts. And if you're unhappy with things, you know, there's an insurance commissioner, there's, you know, legislators to make your voices heard when you can't find the care that you need, because it's really unacceptable. I agree. I agree. And, and so if somebody wanted to reach out to those who are in authority, where would they go to contact someone? That's a good question. I, I'm not actually sure who has the power to make a difference aside from writing to your senator or your governor, but I would start small really at the employer level, which is hard to say. You know, you don't want to open up sometimes that you're having a problem, but a lot of employers do have what they call an EAP or an employee assistance program. They probably have some mental health benefits that they've paid into that they want their you know, people to be able to use to, to retain them. And if those people are not able to use those benefits because there's a short supply of providers, not enough openings, you know, poor reimbursements, then that's something that can be addressed. You know, I think insurance is this necessary middleman. You know, I don't think that they're always our opponents. You know, I, I would hope that most of them want to do good, but they are governed by business people who want to see good margins, good returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So great, great advice. Start with your employer uh, and, and uh, look in to see what type of uh, EIP pro uh, benefits that you have for mental health. I think that's a, a very wise thing to offer. Well, 
I want to say doc. I've been calling you Carrie the whole episode, but it should be Dr. Singer. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> you've earned it. So I want to uh, address you that way. Uh, Dr. Singer, one of the things I like to ask all my guests is talking about self-care. That's something I do promote a lot. And I'm really curious because you're busy. You, you have a huge group mental health practice. You have a lot of things that you're working on. I'm really curious, and I know you have children. What, are, what I'm curious what you do for self-care. Honestly, some days it has not been great. And I'll say, especially over the pandemic with the kids being at home more, working from home more, you know, we got a new puppy, you know, whether that was a good idea or not <laughs> remains to be perceived. <laughs> you know, life is really busy. So trying to pause and take those moments to just even take a lunch break, you know, try to get some fitness and some, some relaxation. Uh, we've been going to the beach quite often, which has been really nice. It makes me wonder why we choose to still live in a place that is cold and rainy half the year. Um, you know, maybe make some differences there, but to delegate and outsource as much as possible. So when it comes to business, hiring people who can help me, I can't wear all the hats. I can't do it all. When it comes to life, get a nanny, ask a lady to clean the house. If you can afford to, like, these are things sometimes I'm, I should be able to do it all. I don't need to get help for that, but like, it's so much better. If there's things that you don't enjoy that somebody else can do for a decent price. Let them do it. Sage advice. Very, very good. So don't fall into the trap of saying to yourself or thinking to yourself, I can do it all. Mm -hmm. Because if you do it all, you're going to burn out and you're going to shut down. Yeah. And that's something I've talked about before as well. Well, Dr. Singer, thank you so much for coming on and just spreading the awareness to mental health access and insurance reform and, and also educating physicians and talking about that. Very important. And uh, also those who are wanting to learn more from their employer benefits. Uh, I think that's, you bring up a great awareness and I hope a lot of people get a lot of value out of this episode. So I really appreciate you coming on my show. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. And so that's it for this episode of the Mental Health Today Show. I am very delighted and happy that you are tuned in. And don't forget, you can check out the website at mentalhealthtodayshow.com. Again, that's mentalhealthtodayshow.com. And thank you and take care of yourself. And we've been championing your mental health since 2015. Take care. Bye-bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.